Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to be talking about the concept of peace and what we can do through a variety of institutions to promote peace in our communities, around our country, and around the world. Our guest today is an expert on this topic. Mr. Charles F. Chick Dombach has a wide-ranging career that includes being a former president of the Alliance for Peace Building. He's a former president of the National Peace Corps Association, and he was chief of staff for Congressman John Gerimondi of California. His memoir is titled, Exhaust the Limits, the Life and Times of a Global Peace Builder. And it features a lifetime of service and successful initiatives for peace. Chick Dombach, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill, it's good to be here. I appreciate you being with me. Before we get too far into it, I wanna put out your website at www.exhaustthelimits.org and our viewers can go to that and get a lot more information about what we're talking about and some new information too. But we wanted to get that out. Let's jump right in to peace. When I think of the Peace Corps, I think of one of the major institutions of promoting peace. And of course, this was created in 1961 by President John F. Kennedy. And the goal was to send, at that time, really younger Americans, BA generalists, so to speak, overseas to provide technical assistance to economically developing countries. And you were a Peace Corps volunteer. You were in Colombia. What attracted you to the Peace Corps and why did you go to Colombia? Well, for me, it was just the thing to do. <laughs> I uh, came of age in the 60s, uh, heard Kennedy talk about it. And first time I heard about it, I just thought, oh, that sounds like a neat thing to do. And then I went to college and Interestingly, I went to Oklahoma State on a football scholarship, but a senior on the football team, a guy named Kirk Breed, was going to go to the Peace Corps. And he kind of singled, singled me out among the freshman players and just said, you're going to go to the Peace Corps when you graduate. And I kind of thought, well, OK, Kirk, I guess I will. And, and then I got involved with, uh, with uh, the, the anti-war movement and other things on campus and the whole group of us. It just was the thing we wanted to do. And we did. There were there were several of my classmates went to the Peace Corps and we're still friends today. That's wonderful. That's great. What, uh, just briefly, what projects did you operate or create while you were in Colombia? Well, I was what they call a community development volunteer. And I was kind of dropped in a barrio on the outskirts of Cartagena, what they call an invasion barrio, uh, squatters and basically to meet the people and work with them and figure out what they needed and, and try to make some good things happen. So we kind of talked about it among the people in the community and they recognized these are people who had moved in from the countryside to the city hoping for a better life and they found it was not a better life if you didn't have an education. And none of the children, none of the people in the village had an education. 
So I found out for them that if they build a school, the government would provide teachers. And so they built a school. I didn't build it. They built it. I worked with them, but I was kind of the catalyst. So we built a school. They were also eking out a living as fishermen. We were right on the water, right on the coast. Um, but they were had not been raised as fishermen, and they were using dynamite. Some of them were construction sites, and they would get dynamite and throw it in the water, and it would kill fish. And, and they were trying to figure out why there weren't as many fish as there used to be. So, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> There's a reason for I that. I think I have a suggestion. Yeah. yeah, if you're killing off the fish, especially the small fish, uh, then there aren't going to be as many. That's so right. the, the way to deal with that was to form a co-op. Uh, get loans so they could get uh, motored for their boats, get nets, and improve the way they fished. And in, in, uh, uh, I can't say we ended dynamo, dynamite fishing, but we certainly reduced it dramatically. We slowed it down. Very true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Peace Corps was a wonderful experience. We, you and I will have to chat about some of the projects. I was in the Dominican Republic, but yeah. we, we could spend the whole 23 minutes on that. We I sure guess. could. <laughs> but if our viewers would like more information on the Peace Corps, they can go to www.peacecorps.org. No, I'm going to back up on that. .gov, Peace Corps. .gov. It's, .gov. A, it's a .gov. That's I'm, I'm a nonprofit guy. I'm a .org guy. There you go. You're the .org Peace Corps guy. is a government agency. .gov. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chick, you are also the former president and CEO of the National Peace Corps Association. Uh, just very briefly, what is the National Peace Corps Association? What What is its purpose? Well, it, it is the, the kind of the lead organization for the Peace Corps community beyond the Peace Corps agency itself. The agency, of course, recruits and trains and supports volunteers for that two-year assignment overseas. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was thinking while I was a volunteer, somebody's got to go back and organize all these wonderful people that are doing this stuff. And it took a while for it to happen, but we finally did come up with an organization to connect we refer to it as connecting the Peace Corps community, mostly returned volunteers, but also uh, foreign Peace Corps staff, families and friends of the Peace Corps. So it's a way of connecting the people that share that experience and that value set that, that is identified with the Peace Corps. So we come together for several things. One of the main ones is that uh, one of the goals of the Peace Corps is to, to bring that global experience back home help people in the U.S. better understand the rest of the world, the world that we deal with. So one of the main things that the National Peace Corps Association does is provide resources for returned volunteers to do that, to share their stories in their communities. But we also are committed to the concept of, of a lifetime of service. As far as I'm concerned, the Peace Corps shouldn't be just two years of service overseas and then it's over. There's a whole value set and and the skill set that comes with that that we ought to be applying our entire lives. And part of we do what we do with the National Peace Corps Association is provide mechanisms and connections to uh, better enable former Peace Corps volunteers to continue to serve their communities either domestically or internationally. So that's really pretty much what it's all about is uh, providing a mechanism and a motivation for people with Peace Corps experience to continue to be of service their whole life. That's the important thing. And to bring that experience home, because that Peace Corps experience was very unique. And if our viewers would like more information on the National Peace Corps Association, they can go to www.peacecorpsconnect.org. Well, Chick, you and I are involved in, it seems like the same organizations here now that I look <laughs> at it. One other one that I've been involved with in for decades now is Rotary International. And you have worked in an advisory capacity with Rotary, and of course, Rotary is one of the largest, if not the largest service clubs in the world. With the largest. 
Lee Large is 1.2 million members and over 35,000 clubs in about well, well over 200 countries and territories. What kind of collaboration did you do with Rotary International? To well, help I, I still do it and, and pleased to do it, proud oh, really? to do okay. it. Uh, I've been a Rotarian off and on uh, throughout my professional life. Uh, and I was just so pleased when, uh, particularly when running uh, the National Peace Corps Association and then Alliance for Peacebuilding, to see this connection between Rotary and the Peace Corps and the, the, the larger uh, peace building community. So um, there, it's just a symbiotic relationship. Uh, peace Corps people and the Peace Corps can help Rotary connect with the world that it is interested in and concerned about. Um, peace Corps volunteers around the world very often in the, in the communities where they work will connect with the Rotary clubs in, the, in those communities. And with regard to uh, issues of war and peace, uh, the, the probably the main thing that we do together, and we, we just share information and ideas and motivation for one another to build what I, I like to refer to as a culture of peace, where it becomes a, just a part of our whole mindset and the way we communicate with people in our communities. And quite frankly, helping people, especially here in the United States, there seems to be a notion that war is inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it and, and uh, that uh, it's it's... It's for governments to decide whether or not to go to war and, and all of that. And and my philosophy on that is that it, it is, it's a human endeavor. And we as human beings can do something about it. And uh, Rotarians and Return Peace Corps volunteers together help people understand that it is not inevitable. In fact, a, a theme that Rotary presents all the time is that peace is possible, which is a notion that a lot of people don't seem to understand that peace is actually possible. Most of the world lives in peace, okay? Most of the world lives in peace. Well, if most of the world lives in peace, why can't the rest of the world live in peace? And the answer is it, it can if we work at it and, and figure out systems and mechanisms and ways to make that happen. And Rotary and Return Peace Corps volunteers and others who care about these things work together to help people understand that war is not inevitable, that there are alternatives to resolving our differences. And the, to the extent that that then permeates our society and, and our political culture and our social culture, our educational culture, we can continue to reduce the frequency and severity of violent conflict on this planet. So that's what we're all about. And it's very natural that those two organizations would team up to work together because they are promoting peace as well as development in many areas of the world. So it's very sure. important to collaborate whenever possible. And if our viewers would like any more information on Rotary, they can go to www.rotary.org and check into their website. Well, Chick, you've also been involved with the Alliance for Peace Building. What exactly is that organization? Well, the Alliance for Peace Building is the network uh, the U.S.-based network. There's another one based in The Hague, uh, the global network, uh, and the two of us work very closely together, by the way. We, we are, are not in competition with each other. We get along, and they, they have an approach, and we have our approach, and, and we all work together. But uh, the whole phenomenon of civil society, NGOs, nonprofit organizations getting involved in issues of war and peace is a relatively recent phenomenon, just within the last few decades. Uh, there were maybe a dozen uh, 50 or so years ago, but now there are literally hundreds, even thousands of nonprofit citizen-based organizations here in the U.S. and around the world 
focused on reducing the frequency and severity of violent conflict. What we do at the Alliance for Peacebuilding is bring those people and organizations together to collaborate, share information and ideas, uh, setting standards for the the the, uh, the organizations to uh, have have performance standards to, to live up to, so that the donors will know who is doing really good work and who it would what would be the best places to make make that investment. But the collaboration is extremely important. Uh, if each one just does their own thing, you don't accomplish much. If the people doing these things come together and work together collaboratively. They can be dramatically more effective than they would be otherwise. So that's one of the main things that we do at the Alliance for Peace Building. And partnerships are so important and sharing information is absolutely vital because when there is conflict, when there are wars, nobody wins. You, They may win temporarily, but in the long run. Absolutely. That's the thing that I wish more people would understand is that, that there are no winners in warfare. And you see what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. My God. It's Very just good astonishing the damage that is done, and no one is going to come out ahead as a result exactly, of this. Exactly right. And our viewers, if they'd like more information on the Alliance for Peace, they can go to www.allianceforpeacebuilding.org. Check, there's another entity that's out there, and that's the Global Peace Index. What exactly is the Global Peace Index? <laughs> I'm glad you asked about the Global Peace Index, one of, one of my favorite things. One of the remarkable, relatively new developments in, in this whole arena, a an Australian high-tech entrepreneur named Steve Killay made gazillions of dollars in, in, the, in the tech industry and wanted to do something worthwhile with that money. And he was uh, investing in the poorest of the poor around the world. And he recognized a common denominator in the poorest places was violent conflict. He said, well, gee, we're not going to end poverty or even significantly reduce poverty if we don't reduce the violent conflict. And Steve has a background in, in, uh, uh, in wellness. He's a, he's a health guy, and he re really likes to focus on people who are well rather than curing disease. Uh, what are the characteristics of the healthy people? And he said the same thing about war and peace. He said, what, what are the most peaceful countries in the world? What are they doing right that we can emulate? And the, the metaphor that Steve and I both like to use for this, if you want to become an Olympic champion marathon runner, you wouldn't study the people that never made the Olympic team. You study the people that won. You want to study the gold medal winners and learn from them. So he started asking the question, what are the most peaceful countries in the world and what are they doing right that the rest of the world can learn from? And nobody knew. Nobody had ever asked that question before. So he put together, working with the Economist Intelligence Unit out of London, a process to analyze the countries of the world to find out who are the most peaceful countries in the world and what are the qualities and characteristics of those countries that others can emulate. So starting uh, almost 15 years ago now, he created the Global Peace Index to rank the countries in the world based on their peacefulness and to see what we could learn from them. So now every year, the Global Peace Index comes out with a new ranking, and we can then see the trends as well as look at who is and isn't the most peaceful coming out of that was an analysis of what we call positive peace which is the the and the pillars of peace what is it that enables these places to be more peaceful than others and part of what i've done with this in my work around the world is i'm always drawing people's attention to it i do a lot of work in mali for example west african country 
and point out to the ambassador and, and, and to the president, the head of state, that uh, you know, there are things that you can learn from the rest of the world and from the rest of Africa, the countries in Africa that are that are most peaceful. What can we learn from them that can be applied here in Mali and other places in Africa that are struggling with violent conflict that will enable Mali and other places to become more peaceful? And by the way, the correlation between peacefulness and prosperity is absolute. This notion that war is good for the economy is total and utter nonsense. The most peaceful countries in the world are the most prosperous countries in the world. The most peaceful countries in Africa are the most prosperous countries in Africa. And if they can find ways to reduce the violence and become more peaceful and collaborative, it, it will improve everything else in those countries. So the Global Peace Index has provided a database and a scientific-based analysis of all of this that helps all of us everywhere in the world better understand the dynamics of peace and what can be done to make the world more peaceful. Tremendously important resource. It certainly is. And again, that's where we're sharing information and really doing best practices. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, you have a podcast, or you just have a computer and you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're talking about what all of us, every person on this planet, all 8 billion people can do to help promote peace. And my guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Charles F. Chick Dombach has a wide-ranging career, including being a former president of the Alliance for Peacekeeping. He's a former president of the National Peace Corps Association, and he's done a myriad of other peace-oriented activities. Chick, we're talking about what we can do for peace. Now, one thing before I go too far and we run out of time, I want one very highly visible group is the Nobel Peace Prize. And we've seen people such as Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, the United, several United Nations agencies, former Secretary General Kofi Annan, oh, Malala, just uh, you name them. <laughs> Some of the most notable people in the world have been Nobel Peace Prize winners. You were nominated. Now that is a tremendous honor just to be nominated. How did you get nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, in, indeed, it is an honor, and I, I feel totally unworthy of the of the nomination, but uh, uh, deeply honored by it. It came about uh, as a result of a meeting in my living room uh, several years ago with the two youngest Africans who've ever been nominated, uh, Michael Nabil and Victor Ochen, both dear, dear friends of mine, and they were visiting, staying at my house, and we were talking about several things, and they looked at me and said, well, Chick, We've been nominated, but you haven't. You need to get nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Come on. And, and so they launched a campaign to get me nominated. And the nominations among those who can do nominations are members of Congress. So they went to people in Congress and persuaded them to nominate me for the Nobel Peace Prize. And they did. And so I officially have been nominated. And I say I'm deeply honored. And, and especially pleased because of, of my friends, uh, Michael and Victor, and because they initiated it. 
part of the basis for it was the work that we've done in, in uh, helping end the war in Ethiopia and Eritrea, work in the Congo and uh, leadership of the Peace Corps Association and so on. So that was kind of the, the case that was made with the members of Congress. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned the Ethiopian-Eritrean conflict. You were very instrumental in doing uh, on-the-ground, hands-on type of peace-building activities. Uh, take about a minute or so and talk a little bit about that, if you would, please. Well, it was a fascinating thing. Uh, I had been head of the National Peace Corps Association. I had just, just left that position. A guy named John Garamendi, now a member of Congress from California, had been Deputy Secretary of the Interior in the, in the Clinton administration. John had been a Peace Corps volunteer in Ethiopia. And my phone rang one day, and it was John. He said, uh, Chick, my friends are killing each other, and we've got to do something about it. And he was talking about war breaking out between Ethiopia and Eritrea. I said, John, I don't have a clue what we can do, but let's give it a try. So we got together and contacted the two embassies, let them know that we were interested and would do what we could to be helpful. And they said, please help. Please help. We've gotten into a terrible situation and we, we need to get out of it. We can't figure out how to get out of it. We trust you. You're Peace Corps people. We trust you. And so we started meeting with them. It took two years. Met with them regularly off and on, went over to Africa, met... And you, you think, you know, we, we had no credentials, no money, no nothing. And yet the heads of state, the heads of state of these two countries met with us at great length to find a way to work out a, a resolution to that war. They say it took two years, but at, at the end of the day, uh, we were down with just one more issue that had to be resolved. We were on the phone with the president of Eritrea. He had to agree to make one concession. He didn't want to do it, but we convinced him that it was the right thing to do. He did. I jumped into a cab, zipped over to the Ethiopian embassy, let them know. They were skeptical, but I said, uh, um, check it out. They checked it out and then found that, indeed, we had an agreement, and we were invited to Algiers for the treaty signing ceremonies and to work with both countries to uh, uh, try to get the agreement fully implemented and uh, continue to be involved with the people in both of those countries. Well, that was a very noble exercise and one that paid off. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it indeed. In fact, the, the, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia sent us a letter after the signing agreement saying we created what, what he called the spirit and the momentum that made the mm -hmm. peace agreement possible. And I treasure that letter, I'll have to say. I can well imagine. I can well imagine. And hopefully they'll incorporate some of your talks and concepts and negotiations into their de deliberations now because peace is starting to fall apart in that area of the world. I, I'm afraid so. Of Africa. So and, it, it, and interestingly, Ethiopia, the government of Ethiopia and Eritrea have joined forces this time in combat in conflict with Tigray, the northern region of Eritrea, which is where the leaders of Ethiopia who were involved in the Ethiopia-Eritrea war were from Tigray. And now they don't run the country anymore. And so there's a, a, a conflict between Tigray and the rest of Ethiopia and Eritrea is on the side of Ethiopia. So it turns out that the, the, the real conflict was between the Tigrayans and the Eritreans. It's shifting alliances. It may take um, decades, um, but so often it does happen, unfortunately, yep. right? Yeah. Well, check. we're down to our last couple of minutes. Let me ask you, we've seen that over the past several decades, since you and I were in the Peace Corps many years ago, that the whole concept of peace and conflict, and war, and educating people about how to promote peaceful projects, that, that, that whole 
paradigm has shifted a bit. How do you see it shifting? And what specific recommendations could you make today that we should all take to heart and do to help create a more peaceful world? Well, the good news is that there is a recognition that it can be done, that it is possible to make the world more peaceful. And a lot of that is taking place in educational institutions. When you and I were in school 50 years ago, you could not take a course in building peace. They didn't exist in any university anywhere in the in the world. That, that's a bit of an overstatement. There were a few, but precious few. Now, they almost every college university in the world teaches, it at least has some courses dealing with the issues of, of war and peace where they focus on building peace. And back then, there's no way you could get a degree in, in focused on building peace. You could go to school, to learn how to win the next war, but not how to prevent the next war. There are now over 200 certified graduate programs around the world in peace building, in conflict resolution. So we're, for the first time ever, studying war to figure out how to prevent the next one rather than how just how to win the next one, which is a tremendous breakthrough. It'll take time for all of that to break through and, and have a, 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 a massive impact on the frequency and severity of violent conflict, but it is happening. And uh, I'm just thrilled about it and, and uh, thoroughly enjoy uh, connecting with these, these schools around the world that are studying peace rather than just studying violent conflict and how to win, studying peace and how to prevent and, and mitigate violent conflict. And that is so very important that we do that. And during the course of this past 24 minutes, we've mentioned a lot of organizations that are involved in promoting peace, such as Rotary International, the Alliance that you mentioned a moment ago, National Peace Corps Association, Peace Corps. There are two others that we haven't mentioned, we won't have time to discuss, but I would like to mention one is the Partnering for Peace group, and that's composed of returned Peace Corps volunteers who are currently Rotarians and are looking to work with Peace Corps groups in various countries. And the Peace Corps is now, I think about 62 countries to team up Rotary International clubs in the United States with projects in developing countries. And of course, the other, well, Partnering for Peace, if I recall, and this is off the top of my head, partneringforpeace.org, I believe is their website. And of course, the mainstay for promoting world peace is the United Nations. And our viewers can go to their website at www.un.org to get much more information about what they're doing in peace building, economic development, combating human trafficking, eliminating diseases, teaming up with Rotary International to eliminate polio, and a wide variety of other issues. But Chick Dombach, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.